0: Five o'clock in Pirate Country, and 94-3 the game is gonna get you home with the P-Man. In 5,
1: 4, 3, 2, 1.
0: Lock it in, turn it up. It's time for the Patrick Johnson show on 94-3 the game. This is the flagship station of the ECU Pirates.
2: Welcome in to the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben B. Baby Barm filling in for the P Man. Had some family personal matters to take care of. Filling in alongside me, the ref, Philip Pilkington. How are we doing, Philip? Pretty good, Ben. How about you? A lot going on in sports. And uh, let's just get right into it. I think the most underlooked storyline of the day with all the media pundits out there, what, this is a big news in sports that nobody is talking about. It's almost kind of surprising me. Maybe all this NFL talk with a lot of these trades, potential trades that are never going to happen. Let's just let's throw a lot of these trades out the window. They're not going to happen. It happens every year around this time. They just fish for stories that are not true, fish for rumors. But uh, Villanova head coach Jay Wright just suddenly announces his, re- his retirement last night. No reason really given besides the fact that he wanted to pass the reins to an assistant named Kyle Neptune, who was a former head coach at Fordham. So now he steps in. As the head coach for Villanova, seems like a huge jump for old Kyle Neptune here. But uh, yeah, Jay Wright, probably one of the most successful head coaches besides maybe Coach K and Roy Williams in the past 10 years, retires and nobody's talking about it. First thoughts, Phillips? I mean, this this came out of nowhere. And I want to disregard the notion that this has anything to do with the transfer portal.
3: No, I agree. I I don't understand why every time somebody retires now, everybody throws the whole transfer portal out there. It came out of nowhere, but this is a guy who's won two national championships in the last, what, seven years or whatever, six years? Yep. This makes you— Kind of speculate, and I really hope everything's okay because you almost wonder is he sick or his wife sick or something like that because it wasn't like Villanova had not been successful over the past few years. It's not like they were struggling. It's not like they were struggling recruiting, struggling to win ball games. You know, the Big East is still very much a dominant conference with this whole conference realignment coming up. You're not seeing the Big East being affected by it in any way, so um, you wonder if something you know kind of came up um, personal.
2: Yeah, we're just going back. I, I completely agree with you there. But going back to kind of the transfer portal argument, you would think these schools, like we've heard of Roy Williams, he's retired because he can't adapt to the times with the transfer portal. We kind of heard the same thing with Coach K. He can't adapt to the transfer portal. It's too much for him. When I feel like Coach K did pretty fine when it came to the transfer portal. Same with Roy Williams. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you look at these destinations these guys are coaching at, UNC, Duke, Villanova, these are all desirable locations. If you're a transfer in the transfer portal, that should be an easy recruiting pit, pitch, or pitch in the transfer portal. If you're these head coaches or anything, the transfer portal helps these schools. So i got to disregard that notion that the not being able to handle the transfer portal had anything to do with these guys retiring. It
3: just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. I agree that it helps them because when you're a program like this, no, I agree too, yeah. you – have a lot of one-and-dones. And it's hard to bring in that many recruits every year. Now, they are still losing guys to the transfer portal. Yeah. But I mean, you look at it with Duke this year. Mark Williams could not play 40 minutes a game. You know, Coach K went out and got Theo John, who came in out of Marquette, had, yep. you know, played under Wojo, so he kind of knew what it was like to be, you know, in a Duke uniform, because Wojo does a lot of his uh, way-run practices and his summer workouts the way Coach K does. Yep. And uh you bring that guy in, and he's a solid backup big man. So, And you were seeing it at other programs as well. That was just the first one that came to mind, obviously, for me. But, yeah, no, I definitely agree. The portal can do nothing but help you, especially at that spot. Where it's hurting Get teams the worst is teams like ECU where, you know, the guys who don't play are being recruited out of the portal by lesser schools and the guys who do play and are good are being recruited yep. by bigger schools. But when you're at the top, man, the only guys that are being recruited away from you are the uh, guys that aren't playing anyway, so what does it matter?
2: Yeah, I mean, me and Patrick were talking about it going into the Final Four. That's probably like the most star-studded Final Four we've seen in a long time with, Nova, Kansas, Duke, and UNC, and we were ranking kind of the coaches that were in the Final Four. I personally felt like it was it was one A and one B between Bill Self and Jay Wright. That they A were, now, A now. Coach, coach K is clearly not the same Coach K in terms of a coach. All he, right, all right, all right, right. Let's not go there. I think Jay Wright. Not I'm not talking about overall resume, overall career. Jay Wright and Bill Self to me were the two top coaches in college basketball, in my personal opinion. I didn't think there was anybody better. I almost argued Jay Wright might have been slightly better than Bill Self, but I could see it either way. And it just kind of came out of nowhere that he retired. And who would have thought, with the retirement of Roy Williams, the retirement of Coach K and Jay Wright in the last, what, three, four years? Two. Yeah, two years. Jim Boeheim is still around. Jim Boeheim
3: and Tom Izzo. Yeah.
2: I mean, those two guys are somehow still around. I mean, Jim Boeheim... I'm I'm surprised he is not retired at this point, especially when Syracuse hasn't been necessarily doing much here as of late. I mean, what do they have to hang on to? A Final Four run in, what was it, 2016, 2017, around there? I mean, I, I it, it blows my mind. I never would have thought or never would have predicted it.
3: I think it solely comes down to his boys are still in school and they're playing for him. Probably when they go, yep. he'll go would be my guess is that. But, yeah, what I wonder, though, how much – now with three big-time coaches out like this, does it play an advantage for these other veteran coaches? You know, the Calipari's, the Bill Selfs, you know, Tom Izzo's, Jim Boeheim's. I mean, these guys, you know, normally when they get knocked out of the tournament, they're getting knocked out by by one of these other guys. You know, now there's less of those guys in the tournament. I mean, you know, uh, look, Tom Izzo, Michigan State, they got knocked out by Duke this year, and, you know, I— Don't have every bracket sitting right here in front of me, but it tends to be that these teams, you know, Jim Beheim, you mentioned Syracuse making that run to the Final Four. Who do they lose to in the Final Four? North Carolina. So, you know, they lose to the other Blue Bloods. They don't lose to uh, junk teams. I mean, obviously, you know, the one thing this year with Kentucky, but, you know, everybody's prone to be upset sometimes.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I like that point you made there because we heard a lot coming into this uh, NCAA tournament this year that guys like Beheim and Izzo might be overrated. I think they came out for – all time, like college coaches list or whatever that was official by the NCAA, and uh, Izzo was up there and Baham were up there, and people were blowing a gasket. But like you said, a lot of those guys got beat by the very, very best. They were like, to get over that hump and get over that notch, you had to beat those guys. And those are not tough. Those are not tough outs. Those are not easy wins. So I think that's a great point when you uh, talk about those guys that are coming up. And I would like to say that maybe we're seeing a new wave of college basketball of Izzo and Bayham, but they're already old. They've already been doing it for like 20, 30 years. So who knows? We'll see. The jury's out still. But like you said, this could be potentially really good for schools like Syracuse and Michigan State who've been knocking on the door, been getting top recruits, have legendary head coaches, and have failed to kind of get over that hump in terms of Duke, UNC, and uh, Villanova in recent years. I think that's a great point. Anyways, let's get into uh, ECU Pirates and Tulane. Big series happening uh, tomorrow at 3 o'clock. You can hear live pregame and play-by-play coverage beginning at 2.45 right here on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates tomorrow at 2.45. The biggest series, I dare say, of this year for the Pirates. Definitely the biggest series of the year for Tulane as the Pirates travel down to New Orleans to take on the second-best school in the AAC standings-wise. And uh, let's just do a little bit of a deep dive into Tulane here. Tulane, I feel like a team this year, has been particularly very overrated, especially when it comes to the D1 baseball kind of media pundits uh, around the country right now. And I'm not talking about D1 baseball specifically, but I'll throw in your Baseball Americas, Collegiate Baseball, all the other media outlets. Tulane's been held in a high regard. But when you look at their schedule, I guess their biggest win this year, the one that got them the ranking earlier in this year, was Louisiana Tech. Well, you look at Louisiana Tech this year, and they're 27-11. They haven't and done anything mind-blowing besides beating kind of an underperforming LSU team in terms of LSU standards. But other than that, they've whipped up on some teams that are just not very good. And when they do play some legit opponents, and let's say your Southern Misses and your Dallas Baptists, they always kind of fall short. And that brings me back to Tulane. I mean, they're very similar to Tulane in that aspect. When Tulane's had their big games this year, More recently, in their latest game against Southern Miss, they fall short. And uh, you could say the same about ECU, but and it's going to sound like I'm biased because, you know, obviously we're ECU people here. But ECU just had the tougher non-conference schedule with a lot of new faces in that lineup.
3: No, they definitely did. You know, you bring up the Louisiana Tech series. They did really good then. Yep. Right now, Louisiana Tech, according to D1 Baseball, put out their projected field of 64 yeah. uh, yesterday, which is kind of like you know a Joe Lenardi bracketology. Yep. They have Louisiana Tech right now is the last team in the tournament. Yeah, so I, they're last, on the outside
2: looking in pretty yeah, much. Last yeah, last
3: at-large bid is Louisiana Tech. The other team that they took two out of three against as a big-name team is, is Mississippi State, but Mississippi State is kind of the bottom barrel of the SEC right now and is yep. nowhere to be found on uh, – on the bracket as of now. So, yeah, like you said, they really haven't beaten any phenomenal teams. Southern Miss definitely be the best team they've played. They're projected to be the number six national seed right now, but yep. uh, obviously that's kind of the team they've struggled against. Now, they are midweek games, a little different in midweek games. You're, you know, they're both end days, but still, it's uh, interesting to see is how good Tulane really is at this point.
2: And uh, I like you bringing up Mississippi State and how to, they're, they're not too great in the SEC. When I first looked at those projections on paper, I was like, "Huh, not a lot of SEC schools in here." And then I counted it. There's ten of them in their projections right now. So I'll give it to D1 baseball. They know how the committee thinks. The committee turns the uh, turn a blind eye when it comes to a lot of these SEC schools' shortcomings during the regular season and give them the benefit of the doubt. And uh, D1 baseball's projections are kind of falling in line with that. They got ten t- schools from the SEC in their projections right now. That says a lot when you got 10 schools from the conference you play in going or projected to make the postseason, and you're not one of them. So, yeah, Mississippi State at the time was considered a big win, also because they're the reigning defending champions. But that's not, in hindsight, not looking too good on that. That was not an unbelievable win on Tulane's part. Yes, a great win, not this unbelievable win that deserves all the praise for Tulane.
3: No, I mean you know Tulane does or sorry Mississippi State does have a winning record right now, but in league play they're six and nine. Like you mentioned, they join Kentucky, Missouri, and South Carolina as being the four teams in the SEC. They're on the outside looking in. So anytime you you know you can beat a Power Five opponent, it's we don't want to take that away from Tulane by any means, but um, especially with the way this pitching's been struggling of late, you don't want to uh, give them too much credit because right now you wonder how good are they really.
2: But not only that, when it comes to baseball, you can't too you can't put too much into Power 5 when it comes to baseball because we see schools like Fairfield every year make it in or schools like Dallas Baptist. They're kind of a perennial postseason team now. Yeah, I but mean,
3: then you can make that argument in basketball too with teams like Gonzaga absolutely, and Loyola, Chicago. That's
2: why I'm against those kind of arguments in basketball. Football, Power 5, bring it up all day, regardless of how you feel about where the AAC belongs. I, I When it comes to basketball and baseball, I kind of want to do away with that argument just because so many schools from lesser conferences are, that are really good make it and have been perennial postseason teams. Hell, we've seen some win national championships. You want to bring up Villanova. Villanova's one of them. So, yeah, I, I kind of want to leave that argument out. But one thing I do like about Tulane is the fact that they do have freshman pitchers that have shown a lot of promise. At times in bigger games, they've kind of fell short. But uh, this, fr- this freshman pitching staff doesn't stand out to you on the stat sheet But uh, they definitely have the stuff to get a lot of guys in trouble. Um, Just looking at the stat sheet right now, uh, this guy Grant Siegel, who's usually their Friday night starter, has a 2.15 ERA. I mean, that's pretty solid, especially for a freshman pitcher. And their whole uh, starting rotation right now is freshman pitchers. Dylan Carmouche, a guy that has a 4.21 ERA, not the best, but when you look at his strikeouts, 54 strikeouts, and he has way more work than any other pitcher in that rotation right now. And then they have a solid Sunday guy, Michael Massey, who has a 5.09 ERA. Not great, but once again, he's up there in the strikeout numbers and has a, he's gotten a lot of work this year. So when you look at Tulane, pitching hasn't been as good as it has been in previous years. I don't think it's going to give the Pirates much trouble, but don't be surprised if they come out rolling out of the gate with their starting rotation against ECU and ECU struggles a little bit. Just don't be surprised. I think we'll do well. I think we'll hang in there and be solid when it comes to hitting, but I wouldn't be surprised if they give us trouble.
3: No, I agree. And But the one thing, though, is they've looked slack the last better part of the last couple weeks. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at their last four games, they've let up 37 runs. Yeah. That's a lot of runs in yeah. four games. Um, so it's just over nine a game. However, like you said, they've shown the ability – to be very good, and that's all that they need. That's all these young guys need is the confidence and the ability. So you never know what you're going to get with this two-lane team. At the end of the day, our pitching is going to have to step up as well because, yes, our hitting might be able to hit against these guys, but uh, you don't want to go out there. They've won some shootout games this year. You don't want to try and have to go out there and beat them 12-10. to
2: 10. Absolutely, absolutely. Looking at their uh, lineup, uh, kind of the heavy hitters in this lineup right now, the clear-cut number one guy probably in the AAC in general is Ethan Groff. This guy's a 4 424 uh, uh, batting average. And uh, looks like the clear-cut AAC player of the year right now has eight home runs, 33 RBIs. Um, Just absolutely dealing right now. 56 hits. I mean, he stands above the rest right now in this two-lane lineup. Lead-off hitter. If there's any guy that I can see giving us problems at the bats, uh, it's Ethan Groff. I think he might be the best hitter we've seen since Tommy White. And Tommy White's the guy that's kind of fell off here recently. But Tommy White. I mean, you can't deny non—what was it—non home runs in the first week of college baseball. So, I mean, yeah, Ethan Groff is probably going to be the best thing we've seen since, and uh, look for him to give us potentially some problems.
3: Hey, man! Next four games, we got big guys coming up because we got Tommy Tanks again on Tuesday Absolutely, when we travel to yeah. Raleigh.
2: The thing about Tommy White, what frustrated me about that first NC State game, didn't have his best stuff, but somehow came away with three—three—he uh, uh, was three for four that day. One was on a walk, another was on a cam clutch, kind of botched. 13 pop-out to right field, and the other one was just a solid hit, but didn't blow me away with his power or anything like that. Hopefully it's the same thing when it comes to Ethan Groff, and maybe we can contain him a little bit. Other than that, some other names to kind of mention in this uh, lineup right now. Uh, Jackson Lynn, batting uh, 376, has uh, 18 RBIs, two home runs. As you can see, a big drop-off after Ethan Groff after that. Uh, he's the closest thing since. So it's kind of the Ethan Groff show when it comes to their hitting. And uh, the AAC, not particularly great this year. I think it's still a solid conference. But uh, I could see why, just by the the nature of the ACC this year, or AAC in baseball this year, why they've been able to get away with one really great hitter and a solid starting rotation.
3: No, I agree, and that kind of leads us into the next thing that you and I mentioned we'd talk about, and that is this uh, this D1 baseball projected field that came out. Yep. And D1 baseball has pretty much came out and said that the AAC will be a one-bid league this year. So as big of a series as this is coming up for the conference standings, this D1 baseball is saying pretty much you got to win your conference championship. That's the only way you're getting in, that the AAC is a one-bid league. Yep. Now, however— Their first team out right now is Tulane. They have ECU in there as a three seed, and it has a little asterisk next to their name, meaning they're projecting them to win the conference tournament. Okay. Making it a three seed right now, going to Knoxville, as they have UT as the number one overall team. But. Tulane on the bubble, so with this team, this league could be a two-bid league, but at the end of the day, you're going to probably have to win your conference tournament to get in, and you know how it is. You don't want to leave it up to the committee. You might as well just win that conference tournament and get in.
2: Yeah, absolutely, which worries me because ECU, especially in recent years, has kind of always struggled in the conference tournament looked ahead to the regionals. Um, Definitely can't afford to do that this year, and uh, I think this is the biggest series for Tulane of the year just because um, if you win this series, all the media outlets are going to be on your side. They're going to have you projected to get in. Now, obviously, it, it relies on the committee, but uh, they're going to get a lot of slack when it comes to uh, being number one in the conference, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is just a huge conference, for uh, a huge series for both teams. If either one wins, that obviously gives you a lot of confidence heading into the conference tournament later in the year. Anyways, that's going to do it for ECU Baseball Talk. Huge series tomorrow. It all starts at 2.45 of live pregame and play-by-play coverage with Scott Scooter-Rogers and Dr. Gary Overton live from New Orleans. 2.45 on the flagship station, the ECU Pirates. This is the Patrick Johnson Show. More on the Panthers. A lot going on with the Panthers. All that and more coming up on the other side of this quick timeout.
0: Anyone hearing this broadcast would communicate with us. More of The Patrick Johnson Show is coming up on your flagship home of the ECU Pirates. We are very anxious to know how far the broadcast is reaching. 94 3 The Game. And 943TheGame.com. The biggest
1: party in Banks Media is kicking off spring with a Friday night fling. Are you ready? <laughs> live at the New Wildwood Park in Greenville on Friday, April 22nd. Enjoy fun for the whole family with live music from the main event band. We And food trucks, and even kayaks that you can use to watch the concert from the water. And best of all, admission is free. The Spring Kickoff Party at Wildwood Park begins at 5 30 p.m. Friday, April 22nd. Don't miss the official kickoff to spring. Thanks to the City of Greenville, the Junior League of Greenville, and Inner Banks Media. Hey!
0: Welcome to U.S. Cellular. Yeah, hi. I want a new phone for free, but not just any phone. I want the newest, fastest, most storage-holding, 5G-unlimited data-using phone in here for free. Sure, your choice. Really? Yep.
1: At US Cellular, we put you first. So choose any phone from any brand free. Plus, get unlimited data for just $30 a month. US Cellular, America's locally grown wireless. Terms apply for USCellular.com for details. We all love using Uber Eats, DoorDash, and grocery pickup. It makes life so much easier. Well, now there's cellular delivery. And the team at Cellular Warehouse has perfected the process. They will deliver your new phone right to your door with all your information loaded on the new phone. And the best thing is there's no charge for this awesome service. That's right, no charge for their delivery, and you don't have to waste half a day sitting in the cellular store. Call Toby Williams today at 252-799-7051 and let his team of experts make your cellular delivery today. Cellular Warehouse your local US cellular authorized agent serving all of Eastern Carolina. Your vehicle packs a load of safety features to protect you in an accident. At North Carolina Farm Bureau Insurance, it's our job to protect you just as well after an accident. With fast claim service from local agents, our auto coverage is a lot like an airbag. We hope you never need to use it, but we're right there and ready just in case you do. North North Carolina Farm
0: Bureau Insurance. Helping you is what we do best. North Carolina Farm Bureau Mutual Insurance Company, Farm Bureau Insurance, in North Carolina King, Southern Farm Bureau Life Insurance Company, and independent licensee of the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association. In
1: Greenville, contact your
0: local Farm Bureau agent for a quote for your car, home, life, or your health. You'll be working with neighbors you can trust, people like Bill King, Jake Allen, or Jack Metz. These agents are dedicated to protecting your family and your dreams. These Farm Bureau agents are knowledgeable in a wide range of insurance products, but they are also tuned in to the Greenville community. Again, contact Bill King, Jake Allen, or Jack Metz today at Farm Bureau Insurance in Greenville, 252-756-3165. That's 252-756-3165. Getting the Pirate Nation home. It's the Patrick Johnson Show. Well, the drive home should be a delight. Here on 94.3 The Game, the flagship station of the ECU Pirates and Eastern North Carolina's home for sports.
2: Welcome back to the Pack Johnson Show. Ben B, Baby, Byron filling in for the P Man, Philip, the Ref, Pilkington, alongside me, and a lot going on when it comes to the interns, Panthers. Chris and Dom. Wow, way to give them no love. Interns, Chris and Dom. How could I forget? We got a pro wrestler and we got Dom. I'm not sure what Dom does, but he's pretty cool. I like his look. He's very talented. Anyways, getting into this, the Panthers media and the latest news, always a mess. It seems like every time we host, there's always a new quarterback being thrown into the mix, whether this is a guy that a team wants to trade, a guy at free agency, or a guy that's going to be drafted. But the latest two names, or three names, I should say, that have been popping up is obviously Jimmy Garoppolo. Seems like Jimmy Garoppolo has been kind of in talks with the Panthers, has been rumored with the Panthers throughout the whole offseason here. The other one that's kind of been a late emerger, and it always was kind of rumored with not a lot of uh, factual basis around it, is uh, Baker Mayfield. Now if Deshaun Watson getting traded to Cleveland, Baker is now looking to get dealt. And the third one is Kyler Murray, which I think is a huge long shot. But Let's get right into what Baker Mayfield. I think this is a guy we've never really talked about since we've been hosting when it comes to guys that could potentially be on the Panthers' Let's just start with the whole Baker Mayfield situation in general. Uh, you may disagree with me, Philip. Bad move on the Browns' part, I think, personally. Initial reactions to that statement?
3: Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Yeah. It's like you're going to bring in a guy he hasn't played in a year, so you don't know how rusty he's going to be. Yep. You don't know if he's going to get suspended. You're paying him, you know, an insurmountable amount of money. Yep. Record breaking. How do you? I mean, this could be just. Wasting away years. I mean, you're in total cap trouble if this doesn't work out. Yep. I mean, yes, if you know you're getting the Deshaun Watson that he was, and I also, like, I've always thought Deshaun's a solid quarterback, but I, 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 mean, I, think I don't was think he's like, like the elite top five. Elite. I mean, yeah, absolutely. dude was up 24 in the playoffs in the first quarter and was down 28 to 24 at halftime. Yep. I mean, it wasn't like he just got come back on. He got come back on in a matter of like 10 minutes. My my thing
2: with this whole Baker and Deshaun Watson deal here is Baker was a guy that clearly showed that he wanted to play for the Browns, which not a lot of people could say that. Brown Baker wanted to be the guy that saved the Browns from being a total dumpster fire, and he's gotten them to the playoffs. He's gotten them into cultural revel, revel, relevance, excuse me, and uh, they, they didn't make the playoffs this past year. But you gotta, you can't ignore the fact the guy had a torn labrum and still went up there and try to play for his team, and his leadership is still being thrown into question. And, you know, if the whole leadership deal is the reason why you got rid of Baker, maybe he's not getting along with his teammates, why do you replace him with a guy who potentially has worse leadership qualities than Deshaun Watson? I mean, regardless of what's going on with that whole 22, 24, 300 allegations deal, I mean, one of them's got to be right. That just doesn't come out of nowhere. The fact of the matter is, he was dealing with something he shouldn't have been dealing with. And now that's the guy you're going to make the face of your franchise? You're going to hand him the keys of the franchise? Not only that, you give, you give him an astronomical contract. And, like, I would accept this deal and think it made sense if you were, like, in the Rams situation. You had the top defense year after year. You clearly had the pieces. You were only a quarterback away. It was pretty clear. Even when the Rams got Matthew Stafford, it was only going to be a year or two window for them to win the Super Bowl. I don't think the Browns are in a situation right now where they're a quarterback away
3: from winning a Super Bowl. I agree, but I'm, I want to backtrack on your point there a little bit. Yep. You said you're questioning whether or not he can be a leader, and then you start talking about off-the-field stuff. Yep. Yes, not trying to condone what he did off the field, but that is its own thing. It comes down to whether or not guys want to play for him. There's a question about Baker's leadership, which you write about. I mean, you've heard all the crap OBJ says. Of course, I always take what OBJ says with a grain, a grain of salt. salt. You got it. Mean, this is the moron that gets an IV at halftime because he won't drink water on the <laughs> sidelines. This is the guy who you know lost a fight to a kicking net. So he's kind of a moron. Yeah. I mean, kind of. Is, well, you you know, he tried to headhunt
2: Josh Norman in a pretty crucial game for the Giants back in 2015. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. So
3: whatever. But even, you know, there may be issues, Baker. I don't know. I've never been in the Browns locker room. Not going to act like I have. Well, yeah, none but of us have. Yeah, I obviously. do think that you know Deshaun probably has a little better leadership quality. It seems like his teammates like him a little more. I mean, you've heard about the stuff JJ Watt says about him, and you know I do take into consideration a lot of what JJ Watt has to say. So I'm not going to be all worked up over the allegation charges or the allegations and the lack thereof, the charges, if I'm totally trying to replace a guy who doesn't lead well with a leader because I do think he leads on and off the field. Well, by off, I mean in the locker room. Oh, don't give me that. But anyways. (laughs) uh, I
2: got to disagree. I mean, even when he was with the Texans, he was bashing the organization, wanted to leave, was going to sit out a year. I mean, that doesn't scream great leadership to me. I mean, you could say it's off the field, but that kind of stuff I believe matters.
3: I think it does, but honestly, and I agree, but it seems like now every freaking pro athlete is a prima donna and oh i wasn't getting enough say in the organization i want to be traded i mean i know we're gonna bring up the debo thing here in a second remember back in the day where you played for the team you got drafted for you know who started this crap it was that that little pretty boy out of stanford back in 83 (laughs) that that kid that didn't want to go to baltimore and play for the colts that jerk elway yeah Yeah. my dad is listening who is a broncos fan (laughs) yes i'm calling out elway but um you know That's where all this crap started. And then, you know, then Eli does the same crap. And now you got all these guys who are like, I don't want to play for a certain team. Hey, guess what, bud? I wish I was playing NFL football right now at 23. You're living the dream. Why don't you shut up and play for who you want to play for? So, yes, I agree that, you know, Deshaun shouldn't have been doing that crap. But I guess my point is, who isn't doing that crap this day and time? Fair enough. It's just,
2: it's major red flags to me. When you give that kind of guy the keys of the franchise, because most of the time when you see those guys, let's say more recently, one that comes to mind, OBJ, OBJ was always the kind of icing on the cake when it came to signing them to certain teams like the Browns. OBJ was seen as the icing on the cake for a team that should be able to get into the playoffs perennially. Now, same uh, same when it came to the Rams, he was the icing on the cake. They want a Super Bowl. He's not the main guy. He's not the
3: main focus. He player. was not the icing on the cake. Stafford was. I mean, heck, they went to a Super Bowl a few years ago without Staff- him. They got, they got Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and what Van I'm, Jefferson. What,
2: hold on. What I'm saying is they were Super Bowl contenders with Stafford. People felt like they were Super Bowl locks once they got Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham just enhanced their argument. That
3: was only because Woods got hurt, though. I mean, if Woods stays healthy, it's, they didn't need him.
2: I think OBJ is definitely a better receiver than Robert Woods, though. Yeah, but you had you You don't need there. to
3: No, they, they had a good enough receiving core, and a receiving court doesn't solely win you a Super Bowl. I mean, the fact that it's they the icing signed on the cake. no, the fact it's that they the signed Eric the Weddle, you got to think they signed Eric Weddle who revamped that defense before the playoffs started. I mean, that is what kind of was the icing on the cake. And, well, I, I don't that think you revamped be as the defense. As they would.
2: The defense was already okay with Eric Weddle.
3: Dude, what he did in that secondary is more than what... More than what OBJ was doing, he had a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Okay, he they had they, they had Deshaun the Jackson, Bowl. they had Van Jefferson, they have Tyler Higby, yeah, who's a good. Deshaun Jackson no Cup. longer there. They have they have Cooper Cup, who was the you know won the triple crown. I mean, are you yeah. kidding me? That OBJ was was totally the icing on the cake for this team. Absolutely,
2: I think so. No, I mean, I he had results in the Super Bowl. I mean, he was that star receiver they needed outside of Cooper Cup. I think yeah, that just cemented their offense. Even more. So. What was the
3: guy who caught a touchdown for the... Uh Caught the first touchdown for the Packers in the first ever Super Bowl. He had not played all year until the guy got hurt the previous week. (laughs) So he had a good stat line in the Super Bowl. Are we going to say when they drafted him two years before that he was the guy that that was the icing on the cake as to why the Packers won the first Super Bowl? No, he didn't play the whole darn year. And then somebody gets hurt, and then he gets in there just because he had results in the Super Bowl doesn't mean anything. It's one game.
2: We're going to wind down this argument because Odell was making an impact as soon as he got to the Rams. You forget there was games in the playoffs and late in the regular season where Odell was making huge impacts and looked like a completely different Odell from his Browns reign. I believe he had 6 touchdowns during that run. I mean, you can't deny that, Phil. In, in what, 5 games?
3: No, I'm not saying he is, but the yeah. your original point was about Cleveland and how they, you know, they let him go and he was the reason that the Rams made the Super like I don't think Cleveland's a Super Bowl team without Odell either. He, the whole original
2: argument was about Cleveland here. No. He's, I was saying, they're Super Bowl contenders. They clearly needed another guy in that offense, and he pretty much submitted them as pretty much being Super Bowl contenders and winning that Super Bowl.
3: I liked that number one overall pick from 2009.
2: All right. Well, we can. this argument is irrelevant anyways. Moving on. Baker to Carolina, I'm indifferent about it. I'm indifferent about it just because I don't feel like – I like the fact he has a chip on his shoulder, and unlike Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, you can argue, was a guy that had a chip on his shoulder. But uh, Sam Darnold never showcased great things in this league. There's been tiny moments and maybe plays here and there where you can say, yeah, this Sam Darnold kid is talented. But he never put together a full season that blew you away like, yeah, this guy's the next big thing. Baker has done that. And he has a chip on his shoulder. I could see that going really well for Carolina. But it uh, doesn't screen to me the guy that's going to turn things around for uh, a team That's already rebuilding, and you're trying to rebuild the culture, and you already have a ton of bad eggs, I personally think, in that locker room.
3: I think the bad egg starts at the top with our dummy owner.
2: Yeah, well, obviously, yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, we're $800 million into this thing. Or no, it was halfway through an $800 million practice, so I'm just going to pull out. Yeah. But anyways, that's another story, I guess. But I'm I'm indifferent about Baker as well, and here's the reason. I am tired of going after guys who are – mateys, and like Teddy Bridgewater, like been Sam consistent Donald. with this point. Yeah. And, and However, I agree. if you look at everybody you can draft and everybody who's a free agent and everybody who's on the trade block, he's probably the best available quarterback Absolutely. right now. He's better than anybody in this draft. And I'm not just saying he was better coming out of the draft than anybody is right now, and he has already proven himself in the league, like you said, to be at least a solid quarterback. Yep. So I think he is a safe option, but the only problem is, man, if he doesn't work out, it's like we're continuing to, you know, throw darts here and it's like every time one doesn't, you know, hit the bullseye, we just we just turn around and grab another set of darts and just keep throwing until we hit the bullseye and you, you can't do that you've got to invest in these guys like their stocks you know you get invest in them for the long term you can't just you know up 17
2: games see you bud yeah and uh, the big thing about baker is i still think cleveland's gonna find a way for a potential suitor to give them a decent haul for baker i don't see how we can do that we barely have any draft capital and the most kind of interesting and compelling trade pieces we have on our team is uh let's say C M C that's about it. C M C and DJ Moore, and you ain't giving away DJ Moore.
3: Well, I mean, you can always give away Brian Burns. That's the one guy they claimed they would not give away. Yeah. But obviously with he the Browns... He be untouchable, I think. Yeah, obviously with the Browns, CMC is completely off the table with them just because of the depth they have in that running back room. They're not really going to go after a guy like CMC. Yeah. Um, you would see it more with a team like the 49ers, especially because he could fill that void of Debo now that uh, Debo wants out. Yeah, absolutely. I.
2: Uh, Final thoughts, yay or nay on Baker? I'm going to lean more towards nay. I think you're better off maybe sitting another year or waiting another year and getting your next big quarterback in the draft and just playing it that way. I don't think you rebuild franchises by going after trades and free agents. I just don't think that's the way it works. Your core needs to be, I think, homegrown pieces.
3: Um, I'm going to slightly lean towards yay and um, just because I think the lack of talent out there. And then also still, even if you draft a guy, I mean, he could be a bust. I mean, yep. you know, he can join Ryan Leaf and Tim Couch and Tony Mandrich and that long line of busts Jamarcus yep. Russell. So, yeah. you know, you would just hope that with Baker, he comes in as kind of like a Steve Young situation, you know, where Steve Young was Way worse in his Tampa career at three and sixteen, yeah. and uh, you got to think Jim Plunkett was bad in New England. Uh, you know he was—I I, want to say twenty-five and forty-four doing that off the dome. Yep. Um. You know, and then he obviously More goes to Oakland wins Super and Bowl. Yeah, but um. You know, you ca- kind of hope it's one of those situations. So I would actually lean towards EA as long as you're not selling the farm and giving up, you know, first round draft picks for the next decade.
2: Yeah. Uh, Moving on, I'm not going to put too much into this rumor because I think it's a wide, long shot. It's one of those rumors that gets generated when it's kind of a down period for NFL news and they're just looking or fishing for something. But, uh, you know, people have been throwing around Kyler Murray. He's a guy that wants a big deal, and uh, I think we have the most cap space in the league. Uh, We could potentially do it. Once again, it's a matter of what can we give the Cardinals that would be appealing to them. Um, But when you look at Kyler, uh, just kind of fast-tracking this whole argument here, I'm way nay on that one, way nay, especially like this is a guy, yes, he showcased superstar ability, but he's 5'10". He still hasn't matured much when it comes to the mental aspect of the game, especially pre-snap reads. My main argument when it comes to Kyler Murray of why he's never going to be the guy and never get to that upper echelon of elite quarterbacks is because of his pre-snap reads. There's times where literally – He'll just completely auto out of a play and do just a quarterback draw for no reason because he feels like he can do it, pull it off, when they could potentially get a 40-yard pass play down the field.
3: Well, I'm a nay on Kyler. But my argument with the pre-snap reads would be uh, that guy in Kansas City supposedly can't pre-snap read either. He's pretty darn good. <laughs>
2: I, well, anybody who says that, I disagree with. I think I, I think Pat Mahomes is definitely up there when it comes to pre-snap reads. No, he even opinion. says
3: that he really can't. It's, yeah. it, the, his thing is he doesn't just automatically audible to a quarterback draw and yeah. try and make it happen himself. He just sometimes doesn't pick up on things that he needs to pick up on, and then he improvises and it works out because he's patty. Which, which
2: I, uh, I, I'll i say this. I'll say this about Kyler. Um, Yeah, you can get away with it with pure athletic ability. But uh, it comes a point where you're going to start getting hurt, dude. I mean, he's 5'10", not very big whatsoever. Already gotten beat up a lot with that really bad offensive line at the Cardinals. I just don't think it's a great long-term investment in general, just when it comes to Kyler Murray. I'm definitely going to go nay. And Just the money we have to pay them. When you talk about uh, Deshaun Watson – and how that could potentially set the Browns back for a very long time. I think you can arguably say the same with Kyler. And uh, we're not even at the point where we're making playoffs or on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoffs. I mean, we're still trying to get there. And I think that can hinder yourself even more than, let's say, a Watson and the Browns.
3: Well, Ian Rappaport just shot down our entire point. (laughs) Did this just break? He just tweeted out that the Cardinals have no interest – in trading Kyler. That's why I said a long shot. And Kyler goes out there with a little 100, or 100, I should say, um, emoji and sub-tweets the tweet, or quote tweets, and I guess is what we're supposed to call it now. Can't. So it looks like Kyler is even saying, I- I'm not being traded. But to what you were talking about, yes, I firmly believe, and people are going to really get ticked off about what I'm about to say, but that whole Kyler-Lamar style I don't think is going to last long in this league. Yes, those guys are successful now, yeah. but I think guys are going to get film on them and learn how to stop them. And if you're not a true good enough passer and you rely too much on your speed, I mean, we saw it with Cam. I mean, Cam, you know, We're slowly his starting to size, see it Lamar, too. Yeah, when, when his size and speed wasn't there, you know, he was able to use the size, I should say, he was still just as big. You know, he kind of fizzled out. He needed to be able to throw the ball better. And we're not, and teams kind of figured it out as well as his body getting older. Both those guys, slightly, their bodies are getting older, but I think teams are figuring out how to defend them. So I don't think those quarterbacks are, you know, long term fixes that you're going to have on your team for 12 or 15 years, like you would you know, your Tom Brady's, your Brett Favre's, your Joe Montana's, you know, Peyton Manning, and so on. And that's the guy at the end of the day that we all want. Now, yep. those are hard to get, but that's the end of the day. That's the goal. And I just don't think anybody at the, with its run first is ever going to be that in this league this day and time. You know, it might have worked in the 50s. You know, Otto Graham was a heck of that a was runner. before we had, like, gunslinging quarterbacks. Exactly. I mean, Otto Graham could run the football, but yep. that was also in the mid-50s. Yep. And uh, to your
2: point, uh, when it comes to that style of quarterback and not necessarily being successful in the league or getting figured out, when's the last time we've seen a quarterback like that who thinks run first, who's won a
3: Super Bowl? Well, Vic didn't win a Super Bowl. Randall Cunningham warned Moon. Can not did. saying maybe Moon and Cunningham were as much run first as Vic. I get that. People who but, argue um, Pat I would Mahomes, go. I
2: think you're insane. Pat Mahomes is not a run-first quarterback. I think he's definitely got the throwing ability, and he wants to bomb the football down the field before he ever starts thinking about Scrambling for fifty yards or anything like that.
3: No, I agree, and he, but I will. I will one you better because I agree. Last time a run first quarterback won the Super Bowl. How about when's the last time a run first quarterback made a Super Bowl? I guess. Cam. I guess Cam. Yeah, but Cam. <laughs> other than that, I mean, and I'm not saying it's bad to have a, an unmobile quarterback. I mean, Bradshaw was was very mobile, especially for his time. Uh, Tarkenton could run pretty well, um, and it, it brought another level to their game. But at the end of the day. They threw the football first, and then they ran when the play broke down. Yep. And I want a guy who can run when the play broke down. I mean, ideally you don't want Peyton Manning, who's a statue back there, but I would still take Peyton Manning, who's a statue back there, over any of these run-first quarterbacks or, you know, over Michael Vick or Kyler Murray or Cam Newton. Yeah. And honestly, I would take him over pretty much anybody, not Main Brady.
2: So we both agree, nay on Kyler Murray. 100%. I, I think people are out there screaming at their radios with us saying that. People love Kyler Murray for whatever reason. But moving on, um, one more final guy that I think we need to throw on the old Panthers rumor table here, and uh, I think it deserves a mention just because I have ESPN on here on the TV in the studio, and they even threw it up. Uh, could the Panthers potentially get Debo Samuel and Jimmy Garoppolo in the trade? So it's getting thrown out there. Debo Samuel to Carolina. Yay or nay on that, I'm going to go yay, but uh, I, I think it's a huge long shot, and uh, maybe it's not in our best interest. Interest.
3: I'm going to give nay Yeah. because what you would have to give up for that guy
2: doesn't justify it.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you look at get teams who have given up, you know, an insurmountable amount of picks for guys, it always works in the team who gave up the player's favor. I mean, you got to think about when uh, – you know, sorry to pick on our intern Dom here, who's a Vikings fan. When the Vikings traded away all those picks for um, Herschel Walker, yep. we saw what the Cowboys got traded out of that. Created a dynasty. The Cowboys got three rings. The Cow- the Vikings got some mediocrity and one berth to the NFC Championship game. Now they were 15-1 that year. But, um, you know, you look at the Redskins trading everything for RG3. Well, a lot of the players the Rams got were on the team that lost Super Bowl, and some of them were still left on the team that won the Super Bowl this past year, even though it's been a dozen years. Um, you know the the Saints trading for Ricky Williams. I mean, didn't really work out. Heck, he trading was in their Miami. whole draft. Yeah, Ricky Williams. Now, obviously, it didn't work out for Washington either because they didn't do anything with those picks. But you know, that's the Redskins for you. Um, so when you trade a bunch of stuff, it tends not to work out. And we would have to give up so much for those guys. I just don't think it would work out. It's it was a little different. I know everybody's going. What about Stafford? The difference is it's going to work out in the short term for the Rams. They're going to be kind of crappy probably four or five years down the road, but they were okay selling out for one player to win the Super Bowl, but that guy had already been proven that he was good enough, and they had the team around him to get that one ring, obviously, and the Rams are okay now if they stink for a decade.
2: Yeah, I think they'll be okay with it. But uh, the, whole re- the whole reason why I say yay on Debo Samuel is uh, when Curtis Samuel was in this offense, I felt like he added a whole other dimension to our offense. I thought we were a competent top ten offense in the NFL – despite maybe some shortcomings at quarterback and offensive line. I think that's something that's desperately been lacking in this offense in general, especially for a team that hasn't had a great offensive line. Uh, Just that Swiss army knife guy at receiver. that You can line up on the outside, the inside at running back. And Debo can play like that. He's shown he can play like that. The only problem is, is that's going to lead me towards back to nay is the fact that Debo has come out and said, he doesn't want to be that type of receiver anymore. He wants to be a true outside guy. If that's the case, I still think he's a top three receiver in the NFL. Might be a hot take on my part. Dom shaking his head no. He's a big Vikings guy. He might argue there's two of them on his team that are top three. But, uh, yeah, just on sheer ability, I think he's top three. And he's shown he could play anywhere on the field. I think we desperately need that guy, but he's come out and said he doesn't want to be that guy. And for that case, I'm changing my argument to nay.
3: Well, speaking of Dom, he did want to bring up adding to my list earlier the Jamal Adams trade. The Jets have done nothing with any of yeah. that, yeah. and uh, leaning towards the nail on that, you know, you brought it up, and Chris had just said it in my ear that um, that we didn't want, yeah, that he doesn't want to do that anymore. Well, you already have a guy like that in Christian McCaffrey who. If you start using them right and play them outside and play them in the slot, now he's a little short to play outside at 5'11", but that dude can jump out of the gym. We've seen what he can do dunking a basketball. There's plenty of short outside guys. I mean, just look no further than the Carolina Panthers and Steve Smith back in the day. But you have that guy in McCaffrey, so what's the point in – He's already here. Why trade all this stuff to get Debo? Yep. And then you know, on top of that, uh, the great thing and just mentions kind of off topic, but you brought up the offensive line. I do like the offseason moves we made with the offensive line so far.
2: Absolutely, Bozeman Corbett. I mean, those are two legit offensive linemen.
3: That's gonna do it for our Panthers talk. Uh, I'm going
2: nay on Baker, pretty much nay on everybody, and I think you're about the same way, aren't you, Philip? I'm
3: a little more okay with Baker,
2: but yeah, that Baker would be, would be right. it.
3: it would still have to be like don't give up a bunch kind of thing though, for him.
2: Absolutely.
3: Coming back, hv 3 has been on fire. He's on the
2: cusp of getting his first PGA Tour win. It's only a matter of time. More on that on the other side of this quick timeout.
0: More of the Patrick Johnson show is coming up on your flagship home of pirate football. 94.3, the game.
2: Warren's hot dog pizza, homemade
3: lemonade.
2: Hey, Pirate Nation, Warren's now has two locations in Greenville across from Ron Ayers Motorsports and the new Chacoinnity location next to the fire department. Stop in today for hot dogs, pizza, subs, apple and peach turnovers, homemade lemonade, and breakfast in Chacoinnity featuring homemade cheese, ham and chicken biscuits,
1: plus sausage dogs and more. Warren's Hot Dogs. Want some? Get some. Go Pirates! Attention business owners and management, Roebuck Staffing of Greenville & Newbern is here for you. Will Roebuck and his staff are committed to fulfilling your staffing needs, whether you're a contractor, a manufacturing company, or if you just need janitorial or clerical work for your business. Roebuck Staffing also does temporary to permanent and direct hiring. Roebuck Staffing is your trusted partner for all of your staffing needs and employment opportunities. Call Roebuck Staffing at 252-364-8700 or find them online at robuckstaffing.com.
0: I'm on site at the Gavigan Agency with commercial insurance specialist Nathan Brannan. Nathan, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do at the Gavigan Agency.
2: Great to talk with you, Hank. As you mentioned, I'm a commercial insurance agent for the Gavigan Agency and specialize in offering general liability, commercial property, business auto and workers' compensation insurance to independent contractors, small business owners, and larger commercial customers throughout Eastern North Carolina.
0: Nathan, it sounds like the Gavigan Agency can provide just about any coverage a business owner may need.
2: That's right, Hank. The Gavigan Agency is a fully independent insurance agency with access to some of the top insurance carriers in the region, and we offer a full host of insurance products to help protect our customers' personal and business insurance needs. As a graduate of East Carolina University, I am passionate about taking care of my fellow pirates. So give the
0: Gavigan agency a call today at 252-756-1400 and let them show you the benefits of doing business with someone who cares. An important message from Byram Healthcare. If you live with diabetes, you know how challenging and painful it can be to manage your blood sugar. With private insurance, Medicare or Medicaid, that can all change. If you test your blood sugar four or more times a day and inject insulin three or more times a day, you may qualify to receive at little or no cost, less copays and deductibles, a continuous glucose monitor providing blood sugar readings with no uncomfortable finger sticks. and alerts you in real time to potential spikes with your blood sugar levels. Byram Healthcare is a leading US provider of continuous glucose monitors. We carry most major brands and will work with your insurance to get your benefits approved. So if you have diabetes, call a US-based Byram Healthcare specialist now and see if you qualify. 800-914-2037. 800-914-2037. 800-914-2037. 800 914 2037. That's 800
3: 914
0: 2037. What's happening? I'll tell sure you what's happening. Log on to our new website, 943thegame.com for PJ Shot Podcasts and the latest news on the Pirates. This is happening. Now, back to Patrick Johnson on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates 943 The Game.
2: Welcome back into the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben, B-Baby, Byram, and Phil, the ref, Tilkerton wrapping it up here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Intern Dom and Chris standing by with us, contributing a little bit to the show. HV3 has been on a rain here recently, where it seems like he's just on the cusp of getting his first PGA Tour win in the RBC Heritage and in the Masters. I think he finished just outside the top ten, which is really good for HV3, showing that he's made strides in these big, uh, these big majors. But uh, where do we start? You want to start with the RBC Heritage because that was one I closely followed and uh, kept up with, and uh, found myself getting emotional over watching HV3 there at the very end.
3: Yeah, no, we can definitely start with that one.
2: Yeah, well, just uh, just to wrap it up here, uh, HV3 uh, was leading all the way into the final round on uh, Easter Sunday, and then it came down to a, I believe, a forty-foot putt on eight on eighteen and he just barely missed it. It was one of those ones where it just hit the side of the hole and came right out, and you hear the, uh, the uh, audible ahs oh! in, uh, in, the, in the living room as that happens. But, uh, yeah, I, just to start, uh, looking back at that event, it was almost mind-boggling watching it, especially when you're a guy like me who's trying to get into golf. Because I didn't feel like Jordan Spieth had his best stuff, and he ended up winning the whole thing, especially with his putting. His putting was not great in that. And just the fact that he was leading in that tournament uh, just completely surprised me and completely threw me off and kind of bothered me a little bit.
3: That's golf. you got to remember, you got to watch all yeah. 72 holes. Absolutely, that's yeah. Each, you know what's weird about golf is you know, we think that the, the Sunday round counts more, you know, uh, birdie putts count more. No, at the end of the day, each stroke is exactly the same. I think yeah. that's what's hard. And everybody's like, oh, i watch Saturday and Sunday. Yep. Well, you know, th- those Thursday and Friday rounds count just as equal. Yeah. And uh, I think that's what it comes down to. I definitely – you're don't watch as much of it this weekend yep. um, as, as I usually do, I guess, with golf. Um, and I agree, though. Spieth really didn't have his stuff on Sunday. But, you know, you got to think Spieth, you know, had put himself in that position Absolutely. early in the week. Yep. Um, and he'd probably been the most consistent player all weekend. Whereas HV3, you know, what he, you know, he, he made the cut, obviously. But then, you know, he took him a really big Saturday round to get back into it. And then when you look at HV3's entire tournament – and I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but the only reason he was in contention was because of Saturday. He still didn't really play great Sunday. It yeah. Yeah. was in yeah, Thursday and Friday. So, yeah, it's just kind of how golf goes. You've got to be consistent all four days.
2: The most frustrating thing about watching that event was um, HV3 was playing even golf for most of it, and then you saw guys like there was this random South African dude I don't think ever had a win that was just leading for most of the round, and then he fell off. And then uh, Shane Lowry, who he was paired up with, also was leading there for a good while and playing really well and then he also kind of imploded there was a ton of guys getting into the lead like that and then you're looking at hv3 and he's still playing even golf still still putting pars and still playing for par and it's like hv3 we need a birdie here real soon we need better approaches when it comes to these greens because like playing even golf is not going to cut it um you're only a shot back dude like it's only a matter of time. you got to get that birdie, and he never really ended up getting it. And when he finally did, Jordan Spieth was already another shot ahead of him.
3: Yeah, no, that's that's true. I mean, that's kind of the – you know, that's what sets apart normally non-tour yep. players from tour players to be able to be actually consistently make birdie. But And, you know, in, within a weekend, it's what sets you apart from being able to win. But the great thing about HV3 is he has won. Yep. Yes, he hasn't won on tour, but, you know, when he won that Saudi – Tournament. That was a, a big purse. That was a big purse. It wasn't only a big purse. He beat big names. Yeah. Sergio was there. I'm just going to read off some Sergio of the names. Sergio
2: Garcia. All right. We okay, might here we go. Here, we go. here we go. Listen,
3: Bubba, Dustin okay. Johnson, Tommy Fleetwood, Shane Lowry, Hendrick Stenson, Phil Mickelson, Xander Schauffele, Lee Westwood. I already said Sergio, Thomas Peters, who's been playing really well lately. Paul Casey, Mark Leishman, Terrell Hatton's been playing phenomenally. Tony Finau, Kevin. Na, I mean, the list goes on Absolutely. and on. Patrick Reed. All these guys were there. It wasn't like you know he won the Australian Open. Well, hey man, that's (laughs) tennis and do not bag on the Australian (laughs) Open. My boy Rafa's got twenty one now, but uh, no, it wasn't like he won that tournament that is played in the United States the same week that the Open Championship is being played, and it's all guys who are not good enough to make a major. So yeah, that counts for them as a tour win. But and this doesn't for him. But like I said, he beat out the big names. Cam Smith finished tied for fourth. I mean, th- these are big names up here at the top. And, and the
2: whole point of this segment wasn't for me to talk about the RBC Heritage and how, you know, specifically break down his recent rounds at the Masters and the RBC Heritage. It's pretty clear to me that PJ wants to push Harold Varner to the moon, dude. I mean, just those interviews and his post rounds in general, they've really, they're having 20 minute interviews with HV3 just based on the fact he's a great personality. They want this guy to be the next Tiger Woods. It's just a matter of him getting that PGA Tour win because he has the personality. He's got the markability. He's got a natural built-in fan base with him with ECU. I mean, you don't hear him teeing off without some ECU guy that just randomly stumbled upon or made a trip out there to whatever tournament's at yelling, boom, that's in, baby, or something like that. I mean, he's got a naturally built-in fan base. This is a guy they want to be the next guy. And it's just a matter of him getting that first win. And I think that's what's so frustrating about watching HV3 here recently is they want him to be the guy, but you have to have the wins.
3: No, you do. And you wonder what's going to happen to him once he does get that first win. Is that just going to, you know, spray on a huge, you know, where he wins back-to-back? We see it all the time in racing especially. It's like once that guy gets over the hump and gets his first career win, they just pile on. But, you know, it's interesting what you said about, the ECU fans, they did ask him about that, so we're going to listen to hear what HV3 had to say when they asked him about the ECU fans on tour. Today was awesome
0: because there was just a lot of ECU fans, you know, the young purple, gold, and my he's like, I wish they would shut up. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you don't understand how this is like a religion right here. Like, You have to cut that out.
2: <laughs> Which- that was HU Theory for our guy Tom Lamprecht on 103.7. He comes on every day from 5 to 6. We appreciate, appreciate him lending us that audio. That's going to do it, do it for us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Excuse me there. Uh, special thanks to uh, Phil the Ralph Pilkington for standing by. And special thanks to interns Chris and Dom contributed a lot to the show today. That's going to do it here for the Patrick Johnson Show. We return to originally scheduled program programming. The return
3: of the P-Man tomorrow. Live at 5 here. No, no. Baseball starts at 3 tomorrow. That's right. Baseball. Big series.
2: We talked about it against Tulane. We're back in action tomorrow at 3 o'clock. ECU Tulane on the flagship station, ECU Parts. 94-3, the game.
0: When the intense pain caused retired Braves pitcher Jose Alvarez to literally drop a glass, he knew it was time to find help for relief. That's when he turned to QC Kinetics. I just got this excruciating pain in my elbow. I just, I couldn't hold it. It had become a, a very difficult thing just to do the normal things that you do in life.
3: QC Kinetics treats that chronic pain.